Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 60, You Love Francisco Lindor, recorded on February 6th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. As always with your host, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how you doing? I'm good. Today, this this is one of the few Mondays of the year uh, that I like, because this is the Monday of the year that uh, football is over. So the, uh, the Super Bowl, I've been told, was played yesterday. And uh, with that out of the way, it's even more baseball time at this point. I mean, it's always baseball time for me, but, uh, you know, for people who enjoy both sports for some misguided reason... Uh, <laughs> Now they're down to just looking forward to the one. So I'm doing well. But did you actually not watch the Super Bowl? Or are you just being one of those people right now? Uh, I did not watch one minute of <laughs> NFL football all season. So no, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. And this was the first time I didn't watch any of the Super Bowl in, you know, like since I was like a tiny little kid. Um, the last few years, I've lost pretty much all of my interest in pro football. In the last couple of years, like the playoffs would roll around and just out of sort of like, Creature of habit, I would still watch the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And this year, the Super Bowl rolled around. It's like, like I, I haven't watched anything. Uh, I don't really care. To the extent that I do care, I dislike the Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and suspected they would win and would want nothing to do with watching that. And uh, if there was cool commercials, I'll see them later. Uh, if something incredible happened, like a human being's nipple was on TV, I'd <laughs> be able to hear about that, too. Uh, an incredible so life-changing event. <laughs> I spent the Super Bowl uh, putting insulation into the crawl space around my soon-to-arrive baby's nursery. That was probably time better well spent and more fun for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> so if you didn't watch it, you kind of you've basically watched it with the World Series just in a better a better format. Because as I wrote the other day, or yesterday, like right after it ended, it was really similar to the World Series because the Falcons they came into the game they were the underdog. Like the Indians were against the Cubs, um, the Falcons took a huge lead, like the Indians did, and then roughly around like three fourths, a quarter, three quarters of the way through the game or the series, everything went south for the Indians. It was Game Six for the Falcons. It was the third quarter. I just thought it was kind of weird how much it paralleled what happened to the Indians in another way. What happened to the Golden State Warriors? But that's different because they were the favorites going in. So I don't count that one at all. But but with the Indians and the Falcons and the the Cubs being so heavily favored, the Patriots being so heavily favored, jumping out to a lead, it felt like there was no way the team could lose, and then they just kind of did. Um, the, maybe the difference... Oh. 
I, I with I don't I hate to step on the toes of the analogy, but I just I don't buy the idea that the Indians had a lead that there's just no way they could lose. The Cubs won three games in a row a bazillion times this year. Uh, so I I really think a, a massive lead with I don't know, 20 minutes left. Like I said, I don't watch the I didn't watch the games. So I don't know exactly when they last led by whatever it was, like 20 some points. Um, but I feel like that's a much bigger blown lead than three games to one because a because getting outscored by 25 points in a quarter is much more rare than losing three games in a row. It is more rare. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there could be an equivalent in a series unless it's like 3-0 and you're like on the border of game seven. But it's about as close as you can get, I think. It was like coming back from a 3-1 deficit is not common. It's not the like 98% chance the Falcons had to win, but it's not exactly like I had the same feeling watching the Falcons of watching the Indians, like, okay, they're, they're this far ahead. They're probably not going to lose. Maybe that's just me being dumb watching baseball, thinking, okay, they're still up 3-1. Yeah, they're probably not going to lose. Man, I'm going to say that was you being dumb. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe you were counting those eggs before they hatched. <laughs> I wasn't counting them that far, but it was at least, okay, I can kind of relax now. There's no you way this is going to go. too young in 97. No one who lived <laughs> remembers 97 while was counting those eggs. That's probably very true. But, but the only thing the Falcons didn't have, I guess, was their own Rajai Davis home run. The Indians at least had that, and the Falcons had absolutely nothing at the end. So maybe they, the, the Indians got off a little better in the end. But, but I'm with you. I'm glad football's over. I wrote my one football post that I'll probably ever write and then <laughs> never have to look at it again. Although I will say, I'm, I'm not like you where I'm completely out of football. I'm 90% don't care anymore. But I'll watch the finals of just about anything. Like, I'll watch the Super Bowl, the end of hockey a big golf tournament even. I just yeah, like no, finals of things. I'm generally the same way. Like even sports I'm not really into. Like when it's their big event, like the other weekend, I didn't watch it live because that was like three in the morning. But I woke up on Sunday, I think just last weekend, and it was like the finals of the Australian Open and it was Federer and Nadal. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this. I managed to avoid like finding out who won. Uh, you know, and I took the dog for a walk in the middle of it and was getting grading done along the way. But like, I spent like two and a half hours of my Sunday, of my Super Bowl Sunday, or maybe it was, well, I guess it was the weekend before. Uh, but yeah, watching tennis just because it was like, oh, these are like the two guys, or these were like the two guys 10 years ago, and now they're both still in it. But I don't know. I, I think for football, it's not just that I've lost interest. It's that I've sort of like actively turned against it. I, I find the NFL pretty off-putting. Um, so at some point it is sort of like, I guess it, became like a thing for me not to watch it because otherwise i would have like randomly watched half of a monday night football game at somewhere along the line but it was like no i'm 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 staying away yeah yeah most for me i'm not against it but it's just background noise most of the time i just like having sports as background noise and even if it's football although it's like the worst one to have i think basketball is really good there's something about like the the sneakers on the floor as background noise it's really good i don't know if that's weird to explain but i really like having basketball on and not even watching it um but yeah Football's over. Screw it. Let's not talk about it ever again. Uh, let's talk about something way more exciting is the Indians signing a left-handed reliever. Uh, they signed Boone Logan. It's still not official yet, I don't think. They still have to make a 40-man roster move. But they signed him to a one-year $5.5 million deal. They have a $7 million option for 2018. It's a team option. They can buy it out for $1 million. And he's just going to be the loogie. In the, he's, he's like Kyle Crockett, but way, way better. Uh, so what do you think of the signing, Jason? Do you like it? Do yeah, you also I like it? Say, I, it's it's a little more money than I thought they had left to sign on one player. Um, you know, I, I think the figure I'd thrown out was like eight million. They're not going to sign anyone for like eight million or something like that. Um, and so they didn't. 
But yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't think they had anything that would feel like even a semi-significant addition. Uh, and, and he does. Like you said, he, he's got like a set role. Um, and I think what's really nice is not that he was limited before, obviously, based on the postseason. But I think this really frees Andrew Miller up because now you use Miller when you feel like you need to, and you still have another guy in there to face a tough lefty at some point. In the postseason, there was so much like, well, you bring Miller in now and he can go, you know, two plus innings, but you're really thinking about like, what's the lefty situation going to be when he pitches. Um, And now, you know, because you can't pitch Miller two innings a game the way they did in the postseason for six months. um, But you're a little more freed up to use Miller the way you want without feeling like, you know, who does this mean is facing, you know, lefty slugger number one. <laughs> was a very specific example. It'd be Kyle Schwarber in like game six or seven, whatever it was. There was like a series of lefties where they could have used somebody else. Cause I think at that point, Andrew Miller was out. And so they had nobody else. Well, like on a, on a bigger scale, I don't think they had as much as a problem, as much of a lefty reliever problem as people thought, but just getting a reliever for those couple of innings in the postseason, I think is huge. And they only paid him like five and a half billion. I thought they paid way more than that based on what other relievers got. Um, do you think this eliminates Austin Jackson altogether? Like, is there no way they're going to keep him and pay him the money that they paid Boone Logan? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I what are I don't can't recall what are the specifics of the Jackson contract if he makes the roster. So it's it's minor league now. If he doesn't make the roster, or if he does make the roster, it's five point five million. Otherwise, he can just opt out. Yeah, so yeah. it's like the same contract. I mean, I feel like at this point he's like an emergency insurance case, like you know, because even on merit, it's not like he's likely to be like one of the top four outfielders. So I feel like this is like if Brantley has a setback and someone else doesn't look good or something like that. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet on Jackson making the roster. Yeah. And that also kind of covers, <laughs> I didn't include it in our questions because I knew we would mention it at some point, but other people were asking if you think Jackson will make the roster. And I think it's pretty clear that neither of us really think he will. I'm with you. I think it's like a third or fourth insurance. Um, so what do you think in general? We won't do like the, I don't care who the seventh and eighth relievers are, but how do you think this bullpen dynamic is going to work? Is exactly what you said is that Andrew Miller can be used literally anywhere now and Boone Logan is just lefties and Allen stays in the closer role? Or do you think Tito will mix up something else somewhere along the line there? I think it's like along those lines. You know, I think Allen's still the closer, but I think Miller will pick up more saves than most, you know, would-be setup men. Uh, I think, you know, Francona will, will keep him in. You know, for the ninth, a couple times, Esther's already pitched the eighth. Or, you know, if there are a couple lefties coming up in the ninth, you know, throw Allen in in the eighth. I mean, I think the fact that it went that way in the postseason and the team did so well and it got so much positive attention, I don't think Allen, this is my sense, but I don't feel like he'd be threatened by sometimes being used in the eighth in the regular season. Um, I still think he'll see the lion's share of the, the save opportunities. Um you know, and, and Shaw at this point is maybe still the third best reliever. We'll see. Um, but yeah, at this point, the bullpen's set up that you shouldn't have to have too many high leverage innings during the season on guys who don't have a pretty solid record of success. Is there, will there ever be a reason? Like, you have Miller, so you can just leave Allen back there. I don't know if you would have, if you have both of them available, do you ever bring Allen in first for any reason? I guess yeah. if the, the lefty righty matchup works better, but. Like, Against the right lineup, if they got a, you know, two really good lefties who are coming up, you know, in the ninth, then, yeah, I think there'll be, you know, you could count them on your fingers. It's not going to be like dozens of them, but I think there'll be a few situations where, where Allen comes in in the eighth and then Miller comes in after him. 
I think the real big thing I want to see is if all the the Tito Francona revolution does stick around for another year because it was just two years ago where everybody was faulting him for sticking with guys too much and just in the same strict roles and maybe more on offense with like Mike Avilas. But even in the bullpen, it was just that everybody was too strict and what their roles are relying on the veterans. Then this year it all just kind of turned around. I want to see if it'll be a multi-year thing. I'm really excited to see if he does it again. Obviously not, like you said, Andrew Miller in two innings every single game, but using him where he's needed the most instead of just a setup closer. And I want to see if he'll do it. He seems like I mean, he will. Everything sense that it's Francona's philosophy maybe having changed in how much of it is just he didn't have Andrew Miller before. Like <laughs> that's true. You know, there in terms of like his bullpen management, I don't know, relying on some of the guys. I mean, Shaw is the guy who catches a ton of grief. And then every year we look at Shaw's numbers at the end of the season, and it's like, oh, Brian Shaw was was really good again. Um, last year, I think a lot of it, and we've said this probably five times on the podcast, I think a lot of it was just that the beginning of his season was so bad. So that was like his first impression for the year. And then a reliever has a bad April, and it takes all season to make his ERA look pretty. So, yeah, I don't know. I, at this point, and I, I reserve the right to, to rechange my mind, but at this point... <laughs> I'm sort of I'm going to try to avoid at least on the bullpen side of things giving Francona any criticism. He's done a great job and yeah, like Michael Martinez being up when he was up at the end sucked, but I I never bought into the idea that there was a significantly better roster option and then that's just the way the game shook out. When you have a game, go extra innings and it's all hands on deck like odds are everyone's playing at some point and yeah, that's crappy timing, but I don't see that as like a failure on Francona's part to uh, to plan or decision make correctly. I think more on the who he leaves in the wrong place is still kind of lingering from Avila's playing way too many positions. And it, it sort of was Martinez. I don't fault him either just for having Martinez at the end because that was just dumb luck. But I still wanted Yandy Diaz instead at some point, and I still don't like the idea of Martinez being around so much. But I'm hoping that he, he has had a philosophy change and it won't be all these these veterans that can – technically stand in more than one position and not be very good at any of them as Tito's guys. I hope that changed. It seemed like it might have started to last season. I just hope it carries over. And it's not um, quite related to Boone Logan, I don't think. I can't, I already forgot. There's been so many, like, there's Richie Schaefer came in and he was gone. But somebody came in and now Jesus Aguilar is gone. The Brewers claimed him. Do we miss him? Do we uh, No, I. Do we play I, him I, off a song? Or? I don't even know why we're talking about him. We talked about him last <laughs> week. Oh, we I did? I didn't think we did. Never needs to be spoken of on Let's Talk Drive again. <laughs> See, that's how forgettable he is. I forgot we talked about him last week. <laughs> I don't know. Who do you do you have any idea who they might get rid of for Boone Logan? It's just going to be a reliever, right? I can't imagine anybody else. Yeah, I mean, they in terms of the current forty man roster, it almost has to be uh, a position. I mean, another pitcher because that, that's like. More that's like two thirds of the forty man roster right now is pitchers. Like there, there aren't really any position players to be squeezed right now. I don't think so. Yeah, it'll be some reliever who I'm gonna not remember he had been on the forty man roster in the first place when I see that transaction. Yeah, I don't know if they'll do like if they want to keep as many lefty reliever options as possible, get rid of variety. I don't think it's gonna be anybody like Kyle Crockett, is it? Like anybody who might touch the major league roster. I can't even think of like the bottom minor league bullpen arms who would even be eliminated, but. I don't think it'll be anybody major or surprising. No, the fact that you can't think of who it might be is exactly <laughs> why it doesn't matter. It's, right, right. It's going to be, again, we, we could look at, we could pull up the 40-man roster and start naming guys on it, and a few of them I could make up fake names, and you wouldn't know for sure if I was making them up or not. <laughs> P- 
player make baseball, I think he's going to be DFA'd. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> so anything else um, on Boone Logan? It's exciting. I did not expect it. I don't know if you did. I, well, I, that's who I thought they were going to get the trade deadline, not Andrew Miller. But So I'm perfectly happy with him getting him now. That's that's basically my final thought. I'm excited. I want him to be here. I want everybody they've signed to be here. It was a great offseason. Yeah, I agree. It's gone well. I mean, th- to me, it's Edwin Encarnacion and footnotes. Uh, but I think Edwin Logan's Carnacion. a little more than a footnote. That's a pretty big reliever well, signing. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad they signed him. I wouldn't say I'm excited. He's, you know, I think he's a good reliever. I think the team will be better with him than they would have been without him. Um, if someone else had signed Boone Logan this week, I wouldn't have been like, oh, what a missed opportunity that was. <laughs> well, I can't believe you hate Boone Logan, Jason. It was just confirmed on the Let's Talk to Our podcast that <laughs> Jason Lucart, he's going to block us. And it's going to be your fault again. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on. Um, something kind of new and different we're going to do. Um, last year, when the Indians were going for the, the postseason run, I wrote kind of a half tongue-in-cheek, half serious bandwagon guide to the Indians. Because there are a lot of people who I thought would probably be starting to be fans when the Indians were making a run. I didn't think they'd actually go to the World Series. <laughs> but they were doing some kind of playoff run, and it was exciting. So I thought maybe more fans would be coming. But now that they were in the World Series, now that they've signed with Edwin Encarnacion, and they've got all this attention, there's going to be more bandwagon fans. And I think it's our job as Let's Talk Tribe podcast to help those those new fans on. And before we even get to that, I want to know your thoughts on bandwagon fans. Do you think they're okay? I think we've sort of talked about it before, but... But my thing is, I don't, I don't care. I think they're good. That's how most people are fans. Do you, do you not mind them? Yeah. Do you like them? I, that's the view I've come around to. When I was younger, when I was your age, <laughs> uh, I much more had the attitude that like bandwagon fans were, were phonies and you know all of those sort of negative whatevers. Uh, but yeah, the older I've gotten, the busier I've gotten, the more I've come around on the idea that it makes a lot of sense to pay more attention to your team when your team is doing well. Uh, now, for me with the Indians, it doesn't work that way. I'm going to be paying attention to them no matter how good they are or are not. Um, but, yeah, I don't really begrudge someone who, you know, digs their hat out of the closet and, and, and gets more into things when the team is going well. I do think you can only, you know, get out what you put in. And so I do think those of us who, like, follow the team closely 12 months of the year, you know, good times or bad – uh, I, I do think fans like that can take more satisfaction from the success just because you've put so much emotion into it. Um, but yeah, the more the merrier. Yeah, and the older you get, I think the more you also realize that you like you, st- you, you started liking the team when they won, and then it just kind of makes sense that more people will. And I also wonder if it's... Wait, 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 wait. No, what? no, no. What? I did what? not like this. <laughs> not I... you. I mean the royal you. <laughs> okay. All right. I just want to be clear. A lot of the people start liking the team when the they Indians win. Inspired major league because they were terrible. <laughs> right when you were a kid, like in the four or in the in the fifties, they were not very good. But well, they were yes, good in the fifties exactly. too. Whenever you were a kid, like the sixties or seventies, Boudreau had just retired. And, <laughs> and you were a strapping young lad. <laughs> but no, I think in general, like a lot of people say, like when I was a kid, I watched them win, and now I like them. But I don't like these bandwagons. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and no, I, I also wonder. Them, so. We're both welcoming them. So what messages do we want to pass along? What information do we want to pass along to help them get by? So I'll go first. Um, I'm going to just come out swinging at people first here. My first tip for a bandwagon fan is don't be an ass. Um, the Indians, they were really good. It was fun. It was kind of fun talking during the playoffs. But don't be 
this doesn't even just apply to just bandwagon fans, but maybe like new fans coming on will get overexcited and get way too much into it. But just in general, the Indians run the World Series. Um, they're probably going to be good this year. Just don't be a jerk about it. It's okay. I'm I like trash talking in a fun way. But like, don't genuinely be a jerk over baseball because your team is good, especially if you just started liking them. But even if you haven't, there's no real sense to it. Um, let other people enjoy their thing. If they're into going back and forth with you, go ahead and do it. But if like if you're just being mean to be mean spirited, you're just ruining everybody's fun. And I don't care what team you're a fan of, don't do that. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And that's good advice for new fans and returning fans because there <laughs> are, are plenty of returning fans. I think returning fans, fans might eat it more. <laughs> I think more new fans will know it already. Well, I mean, <laughs> new fans might be more likely to uh, to hear it than returning fans. But yeah, that's good advice. Uh, on a somewhat similar note, uh, especially coming off the end of football season, uh, if, if you're new to the bandwagon, it's a long season. And those 162 games, individually, most of them don't mean a whole lot. So you gotta you gotta ride things out and don't let yourself get you know enjoy the winning. You can always enjoy the winning, but don't freak out over a three-game losing streak. Don't freak out if Corey Kluber gives up two home runs in a game. Don't freak out if Francisco Lindor goes 0 for 4 and makes a throwing error. Uh, this stuff happens, and you can lose a game. 22 to nothing like the Yankees did to the Indians one time and you can bounce back and be just fine. So don't, uh, you know, it's not an NFL, this game is life or death situation until you get to like, you know, late September, then depending on how things are going, then you can start to take it that way. But keep yourself calm in, in, in April, May, June, and July. It's remarkable how much people don't know that one. <laughs> like maybe it's because I see more people's reactions now, but it's just the same thing every year. Like a team gets out to a hot start and they're they're the new World Series favorite and then they white socks all over themselves and then they're terrible and people wonder how that could happen. And it's gonna happen again this year. Some team is gonna be great and then they're gonna be terrible. The the Indians are gonna be great for a while, then they'll be terrible for a little while, then they'll be good. That's just how it happens. Do you think bandwagon fans are less or more susceptible to susceptible to that? Like do, do new fans realize that I'm just here for the excitement and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And like maybe older fans have seen it so many times that they, they think they're just spiraling down again. If success is what drew you back to following the team, then I feel like a lack of success is more likely to turn you off. So I don't know that they're more likely to rant and like the sky is falling, but I think they're potentially more likely to sort of start to tune things out and like, don't tune things out. It's a long season. Stick with it but it's kind of a low frequency for a lot of the sticking with it. Pace yourself. <laughs> and I will say it's okay to get caught up like during games, just learn to let it go immediately afterwards. Cause you're going to do that yep. a lot, <laughs> but baseball is a lot more fun when you get like tensed up during the, even like in the middle of June, get tensed up during a game. It's always fun. But yeah. As a general, rule, I like that one a lot for bandwagon fans. So Indians specific one here, if you're a bandwagon fan, uh, you should know that you love Francisco Lindor. I don't care. There's no. There should be absolutely no split opinion on this right now. He, maybe he's he's awful for the next four years, but but right now, if you are a bandwagon Cleveland Indians fan, you love Francisco Lindor as a as like a as a two B here. I would say you should know that he should have won Rookie over the Year over Carlos Correa. But that one's not important. The main part is you love Francisco Lindor. Um, if he's not the face of the franchise now, he's going to be. Assuming he keeps playing like this, he's got way more power than he thought we would. He's great on defense. Um, he smiles a lot. That's cool. 
he's just one of those players that has fun. He, he wants to be a face of a franchise, which is rare, I think. I, I mean, you have like Mike Trout, who's just kind of there. <laughs> he's not nearly as exciting as a person, I don't think, as Lindor is like on camera and outgoing wise. But, but yeah, you love Francisco Lindor. Um, and don't don't take his defense for granted is also another kind of subsection of this is that he's going to make everything look so easy when he has a bad game, which again, this kind of goes back to years when he looks bad on defense once in a while, that doesn't mean he's terrible. It just means he's so good 99% of the time that it sticks out when he's bad. So, so as a bandwagon fan, you love Francisco Lindor. That's all that's to it. Uh, let's see for next one. Um, all of your drone jokes have already been made. <laughs> you, you missed the boat on those. Uh, you're going to have to find something different to make fun of Trevor Bauer for. Um, that's a quick minor one, though. Uh, I guess we kind of already touched on this, so unless someone is well, in wait, let, let, let's sort of, You can build off that one for a minute. Can we say, like, perfect. don't hop in on old jokes right away before you know, like, the context and, like, how often they've been repeated and beat to the ground? Specific. You're talking like Let's Go Tribe users? No, just in general. Like the drone jokes or anything. I mean, there's a whole thing for Let's Go Tribe users that we can go into. (laughs) Um, But the other, like, more substantive than your jokes are probably lame is uh, the the way you watched Andrew Miller get used and Cody Allen, both of them, their usage in the postseason, that's abnormal. Uh, For the postseason... It's abnormal, but maybe shouldn't be. For the regular season, it's abnormal and has to be because their arms would fall off otherwise. So don't expect to see Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, uh, you know, pitching a combined four innings in some random regular season baseball game. Yeah, definitely. And if it does, don't expect it to happen over and over and over. (laughs) Sort of building off that and... We kind of talked about it already in the first segment, but trust what Terry Francona does. He's earned it at this point. For everybody that sat around and watched him for the last few years and was frustrated with some things he's done, the last year alone has made him earn your trust, whether it's putting Santana in the leadoff spot, what was it, like 86 times last game, or last season. If you're a very traditional fan that probably looked weird, he's not a speed guy, but he gets on base. It was a good decision. It was He knows what he's doing, like the platoon in right field. Just trust he knows what he's doing there. Um the bullpen, he knows what he's doing there. The only thing I would say to get worried about what he does is just relying on veteran utility players, but hopefully he starts getting away with that with the the young talent the Indians have coming, so I don't know. But just trust Terry Francona um, as an Indians fan. Hopefully you learn that if you're bandwagoning off the World Series and all the praise people have given him, but don't get frustrated after one or two games with him. He he probably knows what he's doing. In fact, most managers do. We can We can jump on all of them, but I'm guessing most of them have an idea of how to manage a game better than we do. But especially Terry Finkel. All right. For my last one, uh, and I'll lead into it with you mentioning Carlos Santana, uh, because he's the nearest and dearest example of it to my heart. Um, you're not an expert on baseball. You might become one, <laughs> um, and you might not care to be one, and you don't need to be one. You can completely enjoy baseball without really understanding why certain players are better or worse than you thought or anything like that. Like You can just watch the games. Be happy when the Indians score. Be bummed when they don't. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that level of baseball fandom. Uh, if you're trying to be like big and into things and knowledgeable about stuff, uh, it's going to take some time. So, uh, and this is not a fake it until you make it situation. Uh, shut up and learn <laughs> un- until you make it. I would say because it's obnoxious when someone who doesn't know a lot uh, tries to pretend they know a lot. 
and uh, find good people to learn from if you want to learn. There's a ton of great websites. I mean, obviously, for just the Indians, Let's Go Tribe is fantastic. But if you're looking to get into other stuff, you know, sites like Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus, um, there's a ton of really cool stuff you can read and learn about the game uh, and, and, once, and, and ask questions. But uh, if you want to know a lot, don't pretend you do before you do. And, and when you learn a lot, you'll understand that Carlos Santana is, is better than your uncle thinks he is. <laughs> This isn't my answer, but sort of building off that, I would say most of the people you read online probably aren't baseball experts either. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call myself one. I don't know if you'd call yourself a baseball expert. And even like just because somebody writes on a huge platform, like way bigger than ours, doesn't mean they necessarily know what they're talking about. So like if John Heyman, just to pick on him because he writes on a big platform, if he writes something that does not mean it's the truth or law or automatically correct, people can well, yeah, be wrong, I mean, even the ones that write. People have like their things. I mean, John Heyman is fantastic at a very particular thing, which is being like one of the first people to know something and being able to break news. Um, you know, and there's a lot of other stuff he's fine for. Uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that I would never go to him for. Um, so yeah, you got to figure out like, what are you trying to get from reading someone? Um, and I mean, the, the most famous guys, the guys you see on TV aren't the best guys, I don't think to, you know, really learn, uh, you know, some of like the more nuanced stuff. And again, if you don't care about the nuanced stuff, don't care about it. That's fine. Yeah. I care about the nuanced stuff. And I still like, um, especially like MLB network to have the, what is it? It's MLB central. I think in the morning, that's like a perfect mix of knowing enough, but also just being like silly baseball things. So you don't, even if you like all the, the sabermetrics and statistics, you can follow the other stuff and just know that they might not always be right. And they just have kind of their own opinions and, yeah, that was a really good one. I like yours. Um, trying to decide what to use for my last one here. I only have two left, so. You okay, I'll say this one. I'll teach say... people one more thing. What? You said you can only teach people one more thing. That's all their <laughs> brains will hold. That's <laughs> like the limit, right? It's like 10 things at once and then it's over. Yeah. As a fourth grade teacher, I can frankly tell you we've probably already gone over the limit, but give them one more. <laughs> so um, I would say if you're around uh, Cleveland, just, just buy tickets to games and go once in a while. You're helping out the Indians. And if you're like a casual fan, I think going to a game really will cement how much you like baseball. That's kind of, especially if you have like kids and you want to kind of get them into it, going to a park and seeing everything and how gigantic everything looks. I think that helps a lot. You don't have to buy like season tickets or anything, but just go once in a while. Just support the team, go to a game. It's a completely different atmosphere going and compared to watching on TV. Although again, maybe I'm just saying this as somebody who lives five hours away from my favorite team that if I live closer, I would go as much as possible, but but if you live close and just sort of getting into it, just go and enjoy being around a bunch of other Indians fans and really expensive beer and hot dogs. Ah, <laughs> so really expensive hot dogs. <laughs> the best. Life's great pleasures. <laughs> no, but just the rest of the ballpark stuff. It's fun. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding around about the hot dogs. The ballpark <laughs> experience is fantastic. Although I will say, I don't know if it's because I've, I've watched so many games on TV, but it is really hard to follow baseball in person. Like at a stadium, you're you're surrounded by people. There's always stuff going on. I'm just so used to have like tunnel vision and being able to watch on TV. Like going to a game, I almost can't tell you what happened after I left sometimes. See, for me, it's the opposite. Because for me, when I'm at the game, I'm watching the game. And when I'm on TV, my computer's in my lap and I'm doing other stuff while I'm watching the game. So well, I think part of mine is when I have the, the laptop, I'm also looking up stuff while it's going on. Like I can't get more context when I'm just watching. Yeah, but I feel, like, I feel like you get you get caught up on like, context instead of just like watching a baseball right. game for me 
for literally just watching a baseball game, the ballpark is better than anything because I will just watch a baseball game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I've also never gone with like really dedicated baseball fans. It's just been like friends or my wife and or not my kids yet, but just my wife who's just sort of into it. So it's not like they want to go do other stuff and look around and all that kind of thing. So although I do go to like my, I'm going to try to go to more and minor league games. And the ones I went last week, it was really fun, like sitting and being able to focus just by myself in a minor league game. I love to do that for the Indians sometime, but it'd be kind of weird to drive five hours to go to a game by myself. I think. Yeah. Well, that's yeah that's, so that's it. If you're, if you're a bandwagon fan, there you go. Uh, don't be an ass and a bunch of other good stuff. <laughs> and if you are a bandwagon fan, welcome to watching the Indians. Um, I think it'll be fun for, this is kind of a good team to jump into, I think, cause they're good now and they're going to be good for several years. Like you don't want to jump into being a Royals fan now, other than the fact that you're going to be a Royals fan, which is bad enough, but they're like on the verge of losing their core. So if you want to pick a team to follow now, I think the Indians are a good one for a lot of reasons. I so would agree. Let's move on to our social media questions. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at let's go tribe on both of those. Every Monday I ask questions, um, on both of those platforms. I also ask, no, it's just those two. What am I thinking? Anyway, I ask for questions. You guys send them. A lot of times they're good. Sometimes they're weird. I'll say from now until the beginning of the season, we have a strict ban on Michael Brantley or outfield questions. Just all together. I don't know about you, Jason, but we talked about it last week. I'm enforcing it now from here on out. I don't want to answer any more questions about the outfield or Michael Brantley. <laughs> so the first one, um, at Pilot Nick K has a very important question. He wants to know projections for things that Tito will eat this season. If he didn't know, uh, Terry Francona eats a lot of things. It's like 47 popsicles, $40 worth of ice cream, a lot of gum. Will there be any weird Frank Cohen eating things stories this year? And what do you think they'll be? Uh, I think during a rain delay, he gets drawn into a hot dog eating contest. And I got, <laughs> I got Frank Cohen down for, for 11 hot dogs. <laughs> that I would love to see. I'd love to see him take on the shirtless cowboy guy that's behind home plate. I still don't know who that is, but I want to see him and that guy in a con- hot dog eating contest. But yeah, I think it's a good projection. That's that's an important. I don't know if there's any math yet for these important projections, but Terry Francona is going to eat something. Although I think with him, it's going to be something more sweet than hot dogs. Like there's going to be some snack that he's caught eating a lot, like ho hos or something like that. I yeah, don't know no, if it'll be hot dogs. Yeah, that seems to be his weak spot, and I, I'm sure there'll be a couple of hotel room stories. The hot dog contest is more something that he just, like I said, finds himself getting drawn into. He didn't <laughs> he didn't think it would come to that, but. Someone said something about his mom, and somehow eating hot dogs is the only way to defend her honor, and 11 hot dogs later. <laughs> He's, like, standing over somebody else passed out with hot dogs in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, I think. I like that question, projecting Terry Franklin's hot dog. <clears throat> so the next one, Mark Shuffleton on Facebook, he wants to know, is Jeff Manship the greatest unknown relief pitcher in Indians history? It might be tough analytically to filter who was known and who was unknown. We rarely heard of him, but always knew his amazing ERA. Um, I think to this point, it might be kind of rare, but I think the more that managers like Terry Francona and just other managers in general are using their bullpen pitchers in such specified ways, that there's going to be more Jeff Manships who come up in the future. Because, I mean, he had like, he had an under one ERA in 2015, and it was barely over three last year. That's not, everybody knows he's not quite that good. I think he was a good reliever that the Indians picked up based on his lower FIP compared to his ERA, but... It's because he was used in such a specific way. It was always really low leverage. He was just kind of eating up innings. I think we're going to see more players like that than we have in the past. And I just kind of, I wanted to see if I could randomly find another player like that. So all I did was I just opened the years on fan graphs, flicked the old mouse wheel and see which one it landed on. Uh, and Jack Armstrong in 1992, he had 31 innings of relief. He was also a starter, but he's a terrible starter. But as a reliever, he had 1.16 ERA and 2.85 FIP. 
nobody knows who he is, so he was a Jeff Manship. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate that Manship had to go to South Korea to play now, but I'm sure he'll be back. It was kind of fun having him around. There will be more like him. There have been there have been other Manships in the past. I think there will be more in the future. The more I think even Dan Otero is one, and he'll be more of one next year. So, yeah. Anything you want to add to the, to the Jeff Manship conversation? No, I think like you said, like, I mean, an ERA below one stands out more, but, uh, you know, you raise the bar in the ERA a little bit and, you know, look for a guy with like 30 innings pitched. There's a decent number of guys who, you know, have seasons like that. You know, it's not always going to be on the Indians, um, but like those kind of pitches are going to exist. Yeah, exactly. Guys like that exist. Uh, it's fun while it lasts. In his case, it didn't last. Um but yeah, I don't. I don't think he's some incredibly, you know, rare bird that we'll never see flying across the skies of Cleveland again, or a very rare ship that we'll never see on the the shores of Lake Erie again. Oh, yeah, CJ, that's a good. ship pun because his man, his name. Right out of the park. <laughs> so the next question is a very hard one. Um, I hope you researched it, and I hope you looked up stats. I want a full detailed answer with cited sources. Um, Giorgio Michael. So Timio on Facebook wants to know who gets the ball for opening day. Uh, Jason, think long and hard about it. Um, please consider all your options and tell me why it's going to be Corey Kluber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not going to be anybody else, is it? It's the only other Carlos sort of option is Carlos Carrasco. Because he's he was the team's best pitcher last year, which is one common predictive factor. Uh, he's also been the team's best pitcher over the last three or four years which is also a common predictive factor. Really, the only time when the team's best pitcher the year before isn't the starter uh, is when the team has you know someone who's been good longer and just maybe was hurt the year before or had a slightly down year or the guy who was better than him the year before was like his first great season. Um, in this case, Kluber's the guy using either of the categories. Um, yeah. you know, Carrasco is a really good number two. But Carrasco wasn't as good as Kluber last year. And, you know, he's it's going to be Corey Kluber unless if it's not Corey Kluber, it's it means something's gone really, really wrong. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it will be Corey Kluber. It will be Corey Kluber. Everything's OK. It will be Corey Kluber. <laughs> yeah. If you read this or if you heard this question and then immediately went to a coma and waked up and woke up on opening day and you saw Carlos Carrasco on the mound, freak out, run around, find out what happened, because something somewhere went terribly wrong. I mean, yes. maybe. Kluber had an awful spring, or maybe he was injured, but something bad happened, and Carrasco is now... Nothing against Carrasco, it's just, like you said, Kluber was better last year, there's no reason... Kluber would be the opening day starter for, like, 27 different teams <laughs> if he were on that right. team. Just, he's a fantastic pitcher. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. Um, so last question here is from 330 and 513 on Twitter. He wants to know, if you could bring him back any former Indian player all-time to play on this team, who would it be, and who would he replace? I'll let you take this one first. Um, all right. Well, I'm torn between two different answers. So I'm sort of yeah. tempted to let you go first just because maybe you'll eliminate one of my answers. <laughs> um, but I guess maybe now I ruin your answer if I go first. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? I have a couple if you want me to go first. You go first. You go first. Okay. So I have an old one and a new one. Um, I'd say the old one I would want to see. Uh, after we both our answers, I'm going to have a qualifying thing for this. But for now, let's just do both our answers. So the older one I was going to say, uh, Lou Boudreau, I'd want to see... Somebody of his caliber also managing the team and playing at the same time. That's something I would want to see. I want to see how good he would translate to playing today. Um, and then a recent one, which seems kind of too soon to even talk about still, 
I would want to see Grady Sizemore pre-injury and have him replace somebody in the outfield and see if in this alternate timeline, maybe he doesn't get injured. What does he turn into over a full career without several devastating injuries? So either Lou Boudreau or Grady Sizemore, somebody in the outfield I want to have come in and I guess take over for whoever you want to throw in center field. Um, those are mine. Who are you? All right. Well, first, I don't know how much you know about Lou Boudreau. I obviously know that he managed and played for the Indians at the same time. Um, I'm a little struck by the fact that uh, you're bringing Lou Boudreau up, which means you're apparently your first choice is to kick Francisco Lindor out of the starting lineup. <laughs> he can play somewhere else. I mean, one of those two will adjust somewhere else. I feel like so I will make them do seeking. it. I feel like oh, I'm going to bring him up and then I'm going to move him to a different position. <laughs> like I feel like if you bring him up, he's got to play like his his normal position. Okay, fine. So in which case, I guess Grady Sizemore is your answer because that was your other right. answer. I mean. But to or me, I feel like it's a little bit fudging if you choose someone and then say you're you're moving someone else to a different position. I guess if you're the actual manager, you, of course, could do that. But I feel like you have to move Lindor in that situation. I feel like the guy you bring up, you have to put at his normal position. And I oh. guess Lindor just becomes a fantastic... <laughs> the you know, best utility infielder ever. Right. So what, what do you do? Put him at third base and then you push Jose... See, I, I mean, I'd love to see Boudreaux and I think the idea of a player manager would be fun. Um, but I, I feel like you just can't pick an infielder because there's no one I want to push out of the lineup. So to me, yeah. it's either an outfielder, like you said, because that's the weak part of the team, um, or it's a starting pitcher because you can always significantly upgrade your rotation by replacing your fifth starter with like a Hall of Famer. Um, so Bob Feller is like one obvious answer because, yeah. you know, suddenly... I guess then we would have to wonder who's taking the ball on opening day, <laughs> Feller or Kluber. I mean, if you resurrect Bob Feller, you're going to give him the ball on opening day. That's that's what's going to happen, I think. Well, what has he done for you lately? <laughs> well, the, the other crazy thing, and this is like sort of getting sidetracked, but you know, Bob Feller, we think, under, understandably, is a great strikeout pitcher. Um, you look at his numbers, like his rate stats, and it's a stark reminder of how much baseball has changed because Bob Feller, one of the great strikeout pitchers of his era – Averaged six strikeouts per nine innings for his career. Um, so that's it. I mean, if you go from a long time ago, you run the risk of like, if you're really just like transporting this guy in his prime to today, you know, how does a pitcher from, you know, World War II era, uh, what does he really look like in 2016? So I think you're sort of taking a big gamble if you take someone from too far back. So, like, as an outfielder, my first thought was go with Tris Speaker. He's the best outfielder in team history. Great defensive center fielder. You put him there. You you know the rest of the outfield falls into place around him, uh, and you've just you know added one of the twenty five or so best players in history. But I would, if this were like a time machine scenario, be a little afraid that like, oh man, a guy who played in you know like the the dead ball era in nineteen twenties. It turns out <laughs> he does not have what it takes for baseball one hundred years later. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I guess against hedging that. I'd be. I think Grady Sizemore is a good answer, or Albert Bell, someone who 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 is great recently enough at a position the Indians could use an upgrade for. Uh, that you wouldn't be worried that oh man, it turns out baseball players a hundred years ago weren't good compared to today. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically the point I want to bring up is that if you're just teleporting them, I can almost guarantee they're going to be terrible. Like the best p- players, no matter how many instincts you have, you can't compete with the amount of training and. Um, just general awareness and everything they have now. They're so much bigger, faster, stronger. Like, I don't care how big Babe Ruth was back then. I don't think he's going to look great today. Like, he's never seen pitches as fast as they can throw now. 
But I think if so, what if it was you could take how's the way to this? Like you take Bob Feller when he first started and drop him into the system now. But then there's like so many factors developing where maybe he just wouldn't turn out the same way he was. Like there's so many weird little factors. But just teleporting an old player, I think almost no matter who it is, they would look bad. Even a manager, because like think about the kind of decisions that a manager from 1920 would make today, and how bad they would be. Yeah, I feel like a pitcher has a better chance of succeeding just because on some level, like, I mean, there's different pitches now, but like on some level, pitching hasn't changed that significantly. Like there's more guys throwing 100 miles per hour than, you know, there used to be. But it's not like Bob Feller's fastball was like some 82 mile per hour thing. Um, and, I, I, and I'm confident that Bob Feller, you know, working with Mickey Callaway, Callaway could teach him one or two new pitches if, if that's what was needed. So I'm pretty confident Bob Feller could come into today's game and, and still be a great pitcher. Whereas Tris Speaker, like you said, like the conditioning, and it's not like, oh, well, you know, he got a lot stronger because he lifted weights over the offseason. Now he's ready. No, because like that's going to change all sorts of other things. I, I, I think you're, it's a much, I think you're right. I think any position player from that long ago, uh, in terms of hitting, is going to look overwhelmed. Like, I think, you know, the great fielders are still going to be great fielders. I mean, they're going to have a better glove and cleaner infields. Like, I, I think great defense 100 years ago would be great defense today. But hitting is the baseball skill I think would fall off the most in this time machine scenario. Well, would defense even hold up, too? Like, are, see, are they seeing the same exit velocities as they would now? Like, that's another big difference. They're not seeing balls hit nearly as yeah, hard coming at them. They'd be playing in much better conditions with better lighting, with better equipment. I feel like a lot of that is just like instincts, quick, you know, first step and stuff like that. I feel like those adjustments would be more makeable than hitting. Yeah. Like either we would agree that hitting would be obviously the biggest drop off. Like that'd be the hardest. Do you think, think like, you know, I think given like a little time, I don't think like, you know, Babe Ruth wouldn't even make a team today. I don't think that's the case. Whereas basketball, I do think that's the case. George Mikan, who was like the first superstar of the NBA I don't think could start on a D1 college team today. <laughs> no, wait. So you think Babe Ruth would make a team? I'm saying I don't think he would. That's what I'm. That's my. No, yeah, I think Babe, like just dropping him yeah. from a time machine. I don't think he'd get very far. I think, yeah, I, I don't think like the next day he's in the start. You know, but I think given a fairly brief amount of time, Ruth was good enough. He'd adjust and still be a good player. Right, and then so like basically the biggest. In a way, what we're saying, like the, the the skill that carries over the most is just baseball instincts. That's the only thing you keep from like switching over to the new kind of training and all kind of adaptations they have now is just however well you knew the game back then. Because obviously how strong you were or how fast you could run back then is yeah, completely well, like, irrelevant it, it, now. Hand-eye coordination is still there. I mean, right. there's a lot. I mean, bat, there's a lot that's still going to be the same. But you've, you've got to adjust to a ton of different pitchers. You've got to adjust to a world where you don't see the same pitcher four times in a game. Um You've got to adjust to a world where everyone else has been on, most other people have been on some sort of like strength training regimen that didn't exist for you that you can't just like catch up on in a few, you know, in a, in a, in an off season or something like that. I think great players, enough of their instincts, they'd still be good players, but I don't think they'd be great players. Um, so, I mean, Tris Speaker was a better player in his era than Albert Bell or Grady Sizemore was, but Albert Bell or Grady Sizemore in his prime I'm not worried about the time travel adjustment. When do you think that line is? Is that like... I mean, I think the farther you go, the the more it gets. But I mean, especially... And and Speaker played on both sides. And and most of Speaker's career was after the dead ball era. Um, But like, 
you know, Wagner, Hannes Wagner, like, you know, on merit of his era, you know, is one of the 10 greatest baseball players ever, I think. But the game was so different then. Or pitchers from the 1800s when, like, you know, the mound was always the same distance. Like, you look at old pitchers' numbers and, like, you know, old Haas Radburn, and it's remarkable, but it's also a stark reminder of, like, oh, yeah, that was – 1800s baseball wasn't really (laughs) what we think of as baseball. Whereas, like, really – I think Willie Mays, you know, you you take 1951 Willie Mays and drop him into 2017, let the Indians sign him, and I'm confident the Indians have a fantastic player. Yeah, I can see that. Like, again, like you said, not overnight, but eventually. I mean, Frank's big divide is 1947 because Tris Beaker just played a bunch – played against a bunch of white guys. And not that they weren't great baseball players, but, like, (laughs) the pool of – great baseball players who were being picked for major league baseball, uh, you know, was, was limited, uh, you know, whereas once you get into like Mays and, you know, the 1950s at that point, you know, you've still got like foreign influx more recently. Um, but I think, yeah, end of the dead ball era and, uh, end of segregation. I, I think those would be kind of the two single biggest events in changing things. Yeah. Now I say we reverse it and we send Mike Trout to like 1912. <laughs> and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that'd be ridiculous, like, right? There's no way that he would get hurt by that. Send LeBron James to like 1957, <laughs> and I mean, he would he would look like he was an alien. He wouldn't seem like he was the same species as the the players he was playing against. Yeah, there was something in like football, like the um, what was the Redskins? Their hog, the hog or whatever, their their huge yeah. offensive line, like yeah. all of them were smaller, like the smallest defensive tackle or um, offensive yeah. tackle on the Chargers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Will, William Perry, the refrigerator, right. and like on, on the eighty and the eighty five Bears, I was like, oh my god, he's so incredibly overweight, and he would be he would be undersized and too <laughs> he'd be like a fullback on the small side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a really interesting idea and conversation that we'll unfortunately never be able to test because I don't know how you could possibly simulate that. Like you can't account well, for. Yeah. Unless you think time travel is possible, which as my wife can tell you, I do not think time travel is possible. <laughs> so I don't think we're ever going to find out. Just just to be sure, if there's any time travelers who hear this in like 20 years, you can just walk in my door right now and then I'll believe it exists. Hold on. <laughs> Nothing. All right. So it was worth a shot. Um, <laughs> try. There's no time travel. We'll never find out. Yeah. Those are our questions. Um, so what's new coming up for you, Jason? Counting down the days till that baby arrives. <laughs> Met about four weeks from the due date. Not even a little less than four weeks from the due date. So frankly, baby could show up ten days from now, and it wouldn't be a huge surprise. It is a reminder. I got some. I got some stuff I need to get done before that baby arrives. So, <laughs> what do you have left? Well, I mean, I'm going on leave from work, and uh, anyone who's not a teacher might be surprised by how much work there is to get done before I go on leave. Yeah. Okay. So you got the room insulated. That's a big. That's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. You said every, I think a couple weeks ago you said you had all the furniture already, right? Yeah, all the stuff's yeah. in, and now that the everything at this point, the the house is ready for the baby to show up. Uh, I think we're as ready as we're gonna be. Cool. That said, I want the baby to wait though. I I I want the baby to be a little late, not a little early. That just works better for some of the other stuff I've got going on. So, baby, hold tight. <laughs> I got stuff to do, baby. Just stay in there for like. One more week. <laughs> I think ours, like our second was, it was to the point where she had to be induced. He was like waiting there so long. Yeah. That gets really annoying when it's overdue because it gets so much worse. Like a me- like 
there's just this line of like, okay, it should be here now, and it's not, and I want it to be here. <laughs> but it'll happen eventually. And the only other thing, we talked about it before. I, I might as well mention it now. Um, I don't know if I'll actually get anybody, but I bought the... I didn't know it didn't come out to like the 10th, but the, the Baseball Perspectives Annual came out. So I'm going to read over that this week. I'll probably write a post about the stuff that's in it, like what it says about the Indians. And then hopefully next week we'll have like a whole, we'll make that our talk about the annual show. Maybe we'll try to get like Emma, I really don't want to try to pronounce her name live on air, but Bella Kalari, I think. Um, she wrote the Indian section along with um, David Brown. So try to get one of them on or one of the other writers, somebody from BPN to talk just about they're all smart people over there. So no matter who we get, it'd be great. But just to talk about the Indians and the whole BP annual, because it's one of my favorite baseball things. So somebody to talk about to you about that would be great for an episode, I think. Um, then after that, um, we'll have like only one or two left before you take your leave from the podcast and abandon us all in the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have other people on it. The podcast isn't going to go away when Jason goes away. It'll be worse, obviously, because Jason is like 90% of this podcast. I, I, other than technical stuff. But the talking, the parts that matter is mostly Jason. But... We'll replace them with several people and robots and things until he gets back. <laughs> I like yeah. these robots. <laughs> Listen, we're working on robots to replace you. I've just I've been recording your voice. I'm gonna just type out everything you've said, and I can just make it say whatever I want. It'll be great. Oh man, you're gonna make me say so many bad things about Carlos Santana. <laughs> I love Joba Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen. Okay, so anything else before we sign off, Jason? That's it for me. Okay. See you around, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.